0: the subject for the evening talk is the art of non-attachment in the middle length sayings and (laughs) this is a book which contains it is said a hundred and fifty talks of uh, the Buddha and a year or two ago <clears throat> it was very skillfully re-translated, re-edited and put together in a single volume and Wisdom uh, book publishers uh, published it and it's called The Middle-Length Sayings uh, of the Buddha and if ever, one might say, the the Buddhist world needed a kind of uh, Bible then <coughs> this particular book would have to be it in so far it's a remarkable and I would say and significantly uh, insightful manual of spiritual teaching practices <coughs> Uh, exploration, which contribute to a liberating understanding of uh, existence. And one of my two teachers, Ajahn Buddhadasa, who died three or four years ago, was extremely well-known in uh, Thailand for applying these teachings to everyday life and everyday circumstances and spoke voluminously on the Dharma meaning the teachings that deal with existence and I remember looking in the room where his cassettes of his tape talks were kept, and it was packed with them over 50 to 60 years of uh, uh, teaching, and for 30 for more than half of them, talks on all aspects of existence. And, uh, think sometimes of the, as one does in these things, the impact and that, um, if I may say for myself over the past 20 years I think there were in the Gaia House tape library somewhere between 12 and 1400 of my talks uh, stored and believe me compared with my uh, illustrious uh, teacher it's quite small change compared with what he's got on the cassette. And he once said to me, everything that he has ever said is based on four words out of this volume that I just referred to of the Middle length sayings of the Buddha. And the four words are Oh God. Damang, <laughs> nalang abhinasaya it's in the Pali language sabay dhamma nalang abhinasaya sabay means all. Uh, oh. dharma means dharma it means things it means teachings it means anything that you and I can think of in the physical mental emotional mental spiritual world it's all a dharma sabay dharma nalang abhinasaya um, means nothing, no thing, no teaching, nothing whatsoever is worth being attached to. Nothing is worth being identified with. And he said to me, he died when he was 87 years old, he took ordination when he was 20 years old, he spent, of those 67 years, um, nearly 67 years, Um, living in the forest and he said all the teachings that I have given have been a commentary on nothing is worth being attached to nothing is worth being identified with and that's all I've ever spoken about and he, he, he meant it he wasn't joking and so in the whole diversity of teachings which are available sometimes it comes down to a very succinct and precise point, we could say. And then one says of oneself, well, what does that mean? all, all things dharma, all dharmas, all things of life nalanga binasaya not worth being identified with all of that, none of it's worth identifying with and how a misunderstanding of all of that could generate within a thought of coldness, uh, detachment, separation from life, uh, alienation and a kind of overview of existence that none of it worth any connection with. And sometimes one meets people with a rather cold and detached view of life and the thought could easily arise well they obviously don't like life and resist it and don't want to be identified with it in any way whatsoever so perhaps they are in some bizarre way fulfilling this four-worded comment of the Buddha in the Middle length saying, nothing is worth being identified with and how easy being identified with is one of the major values that you and I hear again and again it's fairly well conditioned and jumped into us and we say well I can't imagine not being identified with my country I can't imagine not being identified with my family or with my work or even closer to home with myself I can't imagine living finding an existence in which I'm not attached my values I'm not attached to my um, uh, aims and directions in life or to the people that I know and love and have connection with so surely it's important in life and it's an essential feature of life to be identified with certain aspects of life and to be attached to certain things in life and then along comes Siddhartha Gautama two and a half thousand years ago who I call Siddh for short and says nothing is worth being identified with nothing is worth being attached to and The thread of this has been weaving in and out of a tradition for two and a long, two and a half thousand years. And Ajahn Buddhadasa, regarded as the foremost reformer of Thai Buddhism of the 20th century, says he's based his whole life on this statement. And then his, one of his, uh, successors in the tradition Christopher comes along and repeats it and there's a whole thread of people like me saying it and when I've joined the the nuns out there in the daisies the next generation will no doubt be saying it what's meant by it because it seems and it appears to go against reasonableness go against being human and it has to be looked at more deeply than that. We can confuse, can confuse if we take attachments for a moment. Easily, attachment with love and we sometimes say when there has been some change in our life well of course I'm suffering because I love this person and this person has gone out of my uh, life and and therefore if I didn't love this person then I wouldn't be worrying or suffering or regretting or feeling guilty or feeling unhappy over and and that's a proof of my love one's suffering becomes a proof of one's love <laughs> it may not be it may not be at all and we have a, a, an environment an historical environment which quite easily has elevated Suffering into some kind of some noble condition and we sometimes we, we think of that poor guy on the cross and never to underestimate the power of symbols through the ages on the human psyche and I'm just pointing my finger because the cross is up there behind me. me, me. Still we had quite some debate about what to do with it and there were a few suggestions from my Buddhist friends to cement the thing over and then outside the doorway of the meditation hall one has, what's the word? Deus Deus. Resit Me, which means what does it mean? God what? God rules me. Oh, way, oh, and so every time, if we pass through the side door, we look up, God rules me. Or we, we, we see that the, the, there's the cross and um, memory or the image of the, the, the suffering uh, Jesus. And so sometimes that has been elevated into some kind of noble condition. The whole concept of the martyr is part of that religious knowable condition it, it can go into artists we name half a dozen artists and we say, oh how they suffered for their art and thus suffering becomes a, 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 a kind of quality that we have to suffer if we want to get anywhere in life we have to suffer We can't achieve anything unless we suffer. And when this has been passed through successive generations and generations, it becomes something which is believable. And so if we perhaps begin to explore in another way, perhaps we might say, that suffering of the psyche, of emotional life, of thinking, of relationships, of work, of change, of spiritual experiences or whatever that perhaps one of the factors and the fairly major one which holds that field of suffering together is some expressions and manifestations of attachment. Of attachment. Yeah. And this attachment gets associated easily and frequently with whatever you and I turn our attention to. And in the turning of attention to, either quickly or slowly and gradually attachment builds up around what attention goes to. And that can be to the object of interest that person, place or whatever or in terms of meditators the attachment can go, and others to the attention itself How often do we get agitated and irritable and annoyed with ourselves because we say, I can't concentrate. I just haven't got the motivation, I haven't got the uh, attention span that I need that I just can't seem to focus my mind. I have these great ideas and I'm sure if I could only get my mind to attend I could be the Michelangelo of the next century or whoever fulfils the fantasy. So attachment can go to the subject matter called myself or it can go toward that which I have an interest in. And we know that what we have an interest in, we have an appreciation for, sometimes you will say with tremendous conviction and truthfulness, I have a, a, a love for, I have a passion for. And there's the heartfulness going through something, it may be in the world, it may be in creativity, it may be in an environment, It might be in uh, ideas or doing or whatever it might be. And in the bringing of attention to that which we have an interest in something can be happening immediately or gradually which builds up an attachment. And one of the difficulties of human experience is we may not recognise the building is going up and going along with it. I remember years ago in um, in Calcutta I... Uh, this was in 1970s and it, in fact it, it was before um, um, Mother Teresa became a megastar in, in the religious field. And at that time I had the opportunity to have some meetings and talks uh, with her and, and also with the sisters at Nuneral Haldei, which was the, the home for the, for the dying. And while there, I also went to see a priest, Catholic priest from Belgium, who was her uh, as I say in the Catholic Church Father Confessor so he knew Mother Teresa the inner Mother Teresa whereas we only knew the outer Mother Ter- uh, Teresa and I met and talked with him not about Mother Teresa I might add I would have been rather curious but anyway and in talking one of the themes which came up was the area of attachment and uh, uh, Jesus himself, a great teacher of, of non-attachment, care not for tomorrow, you know, let's care for today, the birds don't care for tomorrow, etc. Et Many passages in the text of teachings of non-attachment. And I mentioned the value and the importance of non-attachment. And what sticks in my mind was the priest got terribly upset with me and very angry, I must have pressed a button inadvertently, because I remember leaving his room, which was at the back of a school which he was um, uh, running, and going down the steps from his upstairs room down into the courtyard, and him leaning over the balcony and yelling at me quite vigorously you've got to be attached to something in life and um, so I thank you for so, yeah namaste and, can, and continued, continued on my way and etc. and sometimes there can be a confusion in life between love for and attachment too. and when attachment begins like a virus to enter into the field of love one doesn't necessarily realise it it's actually eating up the love so we say uh, I love this person and we have care and concern and, and support, and we give our time and our energy and our focus uh, and all the ways that we might do that. Maybe someone of our blood, it may be a friend or a partner or uh, associates or what, whatever it might be. And then the person begins, through circumstances, to step out of our life. and this then begins to generate within reactivity, resentment, hostility um, disappointment, despair hatred, aggression all of that is in Dharma language born out of the attachment Love is love. And we say, oh, love has its opposite, which is hate. (laughs) It doesn't. The opposite to hate is, is intense liking. If hate is a very intense, intense form of disliking, its opposite isn't love. Its opposite is a very intense form of liking. And how easily we can switch in the intensity from one to the other so the factors of attachment is the building up of some holding, clinging, being identified with, being possessive of and all of that embodied in the concept we call attachment and if that attachment isn't there or is largely out of this wonderful field of love that love doesn't make demands it loves and the love which is manifesting and the love which is is showing isn't a love which is controlling isn't a love which says me or nobody or whatever it might be And this is where attachment itself has an unambiguous relationship to suffering. And as I say, sometimes we don't realise the degree and the strength of the attachment until something changes which we didn't want to change and then we realise just how much we are attached. All that it can generate and create inside of us so in Dharma language in the use of the language of attachment there is not a single good word to be said for it it's a problem and a major problem of human existence one could say where there's an attachment to and an identification with there is huge problems for humanity huge problems if one just takes the word of the nation-state just recently I I had a meeting with a, a friend of mine, uh, Paula. She and I are on the, uh, and, on, uh, connected with um, conflict resolution, Buddhist peace fellowship, etc. And she uh, was in um, uh, Africa and was working in these huge refugee camps where there are two conflicting tribes the Tutsis and the... I can't remember the others eh? and the Hutus and while in one of these camps where there has been a bloodbath of unimaginable horror and desecration of human existence and we have our own parallel of course in the former Yugoslavia and she was there a year ago trying with others from the uh, International Fellowship of Reconciliation, E4, which has its base in the Holland to find ways for people to meet each other and exchange words rather than the, the gun, the bullet, the machete or whatever during the period of time she and her two co-workers in the refugee camp were arrested and told that they were going to be charged with espionage they were uh, agents of the CIA etc. They were put under arrest and oddly enough put in a convent and every day pulled out of the convent taken to the army base nearby and underwent verbal interrogation. The interrogator the, uh, and the senior officer said to them after uh, five days I want you out of this country I'm going to drive you to the border. And the three of them knew that if they were dropped off of the. Uh, of the uh, which country is it? The Hutu? Rwanda. If they were dropped off on the border of Rwanda, it was certain death. Three whites on that border where there was killing and conflict going on, where there was no military control of any sort. And so Paula said to me that she burst into tears. And the officer didn't know what to do with her nor the other two and then said, stormed off and said, go and just left them and they gratefully hurried to the convent picked up their stuff headed out to the airport as quickly as possible and Uh, got out of Rwanda and her co-worker said to her Paula, your tears a great non-violent strategy (laughs) (laughs) and she said it was no strategy (laughs) and I just use it because the background to that is an intense degree of identification with two labels Tutsis and Hutus No connection with the human being. No connection with life. It's based on labels and identification and attachment to labels. Having no reality to it, no truth in it, nothing at all in existence which shows I am a Tutsi, I am a Hutu, which shows I am a Serb or "I, I am a Muslim or whatever it might be it's only to do with identification and attachment and on that every obscenity on this earth can, be, can take place and continues to take place it's never stopped as we know so when teaching are saying nothing, nothing, nothing is worth being identified with nothing is worth being attached to it, that understanding and that exploration has to run deep, into the deepest place to dispel the identification with inside of us. And so it's just a mode of language. It's just a word, in this case of the nationist state, which is appearing in consciousness. And one understands it as that and therefore free from identification with free from clinging to free from all that goes with it and that releasing or seeing through or dissolution of attachment and identification with has an extraordinary influence on the emotional and heartfelt life and it doesn't Trigger alienation, detachment, coldness, indifference. It actually releases warmth, kindness, and an unshakable and profound interconnection which cannot be felt and known deeply as long as you and I are caught up in attachment caught up in being identified with just today I was looking at the um, 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 n- n- newspaper uh, I didn't buy it I was just in the, in the I went home and just in the in the newspaper shop and on the front page of the um, 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 independent which is actually not so independent as its title says. Uh, it's got a meeting with Mrs. Robinson who's the President of uh, Ireland and who is being referred to as a possible candidate to be the Secretary General of the United Nations. And I have all sorts of views about the United Nations but I'm, it's not the place to do it, well it's a little bit. But, and the thread of what she is saying and and mirror reflected in the headline is the need and necessity for a global ethic and how interestingly enough the very name Gaia these days is beginning to reflect a global ethic which is to put it in another way that human beings have got got to stop thinking about me and my, me and my whether the me and my is just myself me and my is just my family or me and my is just my nation state and open itself up to a global kind of awareness and that somehow that is reflected in our community life and in our way of looking at life And it's the same way as saying to let go of our attachments, to let go of our clinging, to let go of our holding, so that something else can open up, which she says global ethic. I would call love. Another will call interconnectedness. Another will call um, awareness and uh, direct action, or whatever it is. It's as though when we can see through the imprisonment that attachment brings to a human being it can be useful and very practical for us to stop and to ask oneself what in life am I most attached to who in life am I most attached to? What in life potentially could generate the most anguish or suffering? Or what is at this present point and period in my my life? And sometimes the necessity for all of us to actually focus and concentrate our mind and really ask what am I most attached to in life? And to let that stand out. And sometimes, in allowing that to stand out, the wish can be, well, if I get rid of that object, then I'll get rid of the attachment that goes with it. And as we know, quite often, in the, uh, in religious life and tradition the message and teachings of renunciation I feel sometimes has confused that. We hear these stories of people who have great opulence and great wealth and have accumulated or inherited a great deal and then say to themselves I must renounce everything let go of all my attachment in a rather grand manner and a few have done that Sid did it two and a half thousand years ago and plenty of others have done it since and will continue to do so but getting rid of the object no matter how attractive it might be doesn't necessarily indicate that the attachment has gone with it. And as one knows, sometimes a person can have very few possessions, be living out of the backpack, be living out of the begging bowl, be living with hardly any items, but the attachment to those items So, it's not necessarily quantity that determines attachment. It's the kind of relationship that we have with existence. And therefore I say, whether we consider ourselves as living extravagantly or living modestly, moderately and in our relationship with others and with ourselves and with our items, Where's the attachment? Is there attachment in one's life? Is one attached to life? Because if you and I are attached to life there's a guarantee life will come and threaten that attachment. One may say well not necessarily. Maybe I'll just lie down one night having had a a nice glass of wine and a good meal and go to sleep and die and never wake up so I never had to have this attachment go through this attachment that I'm going to lose my life because I've faded out and perhaps we are told that does happen for some people but there's a probability that as we get older which has some guarantee, that in the passage of time, as the years go by, for a growing number of people, more thoughts tend to arise about, oh, life isn't as long as I thought it was. And that as the passage of time goes by, how is it that between one Christmas and the next every year one gets older they get closer and how is it that those of us who have parents and say when you're my age the year starts and the end of the year comes and one says to oneself what happened to that year and when we were children and we were seven or eight years of age and we had our summer holiday it was like eternity six weeks so the passage of time in a busy and speedy life therefore the movement of the mind makes life go by more quickly from the standpoint of experience And the Buddha put it once in dramatic terms he said there was a time on this earth when men and women felt like they lived for 80,000 years and he said there will be a time on this earth when men and women feel like they only lived for 10 years it went that quick for them that doesn't have much relationship to physical existence it has a relationship to the way that we feel about life. And what we often hear is, God, life is going so quickly. 20 years, 30 years, some of you are saying the month a day, month to one today. God, I'm 40 years old, I'm just coming up to my 40, I'm just coming up to my 50. Or whatever it might be in the passage of years and, and with that, it will touch upon us. And it will mirror and reflect where our attachments are. And we're saying nothing is worth being identified with. Nothing is worth being attached to. And if we look well and look clearly we, the problem of attachment can be taken out of existence. And therefore, the problem of existence can be taken out and therefore, the so-called problem of life and death can also come out with it. Because it can't be separated from attachment, from identification with. And the very first conversation which I had with Ajahn Buddhadasa, I asked him a question about life. I can't remember what it was, but you can imagine some trivial question from some young guy in his early 20s on the road. And he looked at me and took his robe off. He had it on his shoulder, and he pulled off his saffron robe with a well, flamboyant gesture for a golden oldie, and pulled, pulled it up in the air like this. And then he said, if you really want to understand the nature of existence, then nothing whatsoever is worth being attached to or identified with, and that includes being a monk in my case and having a robe. It's not worth it. And uh, and then he, I remember, he called over the novice and he said, go and give him a hut in the forest and let him reflect on it. So sometimes we, we things which which I've been which I've been doing ever since, my dear. <laughs> and sometimes in our hearing of things, in this case attachment, identification with it can seem a bit upsetting, seem a bit disconcerting and 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 all of that. But we investigate and inquire into that then it can release another way of understanding and being in this world to a degree such a non-dual understanding one says what's the difference between life and death that clear it can be what's the difference between life and death what is going on that we make to make such a fuss about it may all beings live with wisdom May your beings live with insight. May your beings be free from attachment. Let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.